Well, if you want to find your Bibles to the turn to the Gospel of Matthew, we are going to continue our series of kingdom living in a broken world. In the midst of this pandemic and all of the problems that we are facing in society, societal unrest, riots, deep-seated hurt that exists, anger, we want to know how does God call his people to live. And that's why we are giving ourselves to the study of the Sermon on the Mount. And we are as we're going through this, we're just about ready to finish up what is called the Beatitudes. And this final Beatitude that Jesus gives us when he says blessed, he's going to address a subject that is rarely discussed. In fact, in modern-day contemporary Christianity, the subject of persecution goes completely avoided because it doesn't fit in with kind of this mainstream, contemporary, consumer gospel that Jesus is just here to help you have a better life. It's just a nice thing for you to be religious and to have kind of like a friend like Jesus. And certainly it is, but you need to understand that Jesus has called his people to follow him. You see, so many people have signed up or waved their hand and said, yeah, I want Jesus to help me have a better life. I've got all this pain and angst and problems. And they are suddenly shocked and surprised that if you follow a Savior who was persecuted, rejected, and killed, that you, if you say you really identify with him, you are going to be also in the crosshairs of a world that condemned him. And many folks are just simply like, hey, I don't want that. And so they walk away, they bail, and they give up. And yet, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 through 10, he answers this most profound question, why would a believer in Christ actually undergo persecution? Until you can answer that question, you will probably be a fair-weather follower of Jesus. I want you to meet, hear, and understand Jesus as he really is. And following Jesus may very well lead to persecution. I know that that sounds a little bit foreign here in the United States, but things are changing. But for believers around the world, persecution is a way of life. And to be persecuted, it's to suffer any sort of hostility because of your identity with Christ. That is what it means to be persecuted as a Christian. And last week, we started looking at this. We looked at Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, and we saw that even at the very beginning of the Roman Empire, how persecution took root and how it was practiced and the hostilities that the early Christians faced. And then we looked at a lot of contemporary examples of how persecution is taking place around the world and how it even is growing in the United States. But why would a follower of Jesus, endure persecution? The answer to that question is given to us by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. And let's take a look at it. The very first reason why we would follow Christ to the extent that we'd be persecuted, whether it be in our families, on our jobs, on campus as a student, in our universities, on our teams, and in our country, and even in our world. Let me give you the very first reason that Jesus gives us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. It's because of the life that we have been given. Look what Jesus says. He says, Blessed are those who have been 
persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus is calling us into relationship with himself. And relationship with Christ is discipleship. Relationship with Christ not only brings salvation, where we experience the forgiveness of sins, that guilt is taken away because Christ has been condemned and paid the price of sin in our place. Salvation, the gospel, is also an invitation to the privilege of being his disciple. And you remember what a disciple is. It's one who is in a relational, uh, intentional and relational process of maturing as a Christ-centered believer and being mobilized for ministry. And so that is what God is doing. He is calling people to faith in Christ. It's a repentance of sin, and it's a trust and faith in him to follow him, to grow, to mature, and to be mobilized for ministry. And he says, look at verse 10, he says, Blessed, you have the ability, the God-given capacity to enjoy God's goodness and to experience it and to express it. You are blessed. You have the ability to grow in this relationship with Christ. And what he highlights here is that persecution is one of the ways that God causes this growth in experiencing, knowing, and expressing his goodness. You need to know the times of trial and persecution can be some of the most formative times of your life. You begin to know God in much deeper ways when you undergo these hardships and these difficulties. And so he is telling these believers, remember, who is he talking to? Remember chapter 5, verse 1? He's speaking to those who are his disciples. And if you are truly a disciple of Christ, he is preparing you for the road ahead. And he says, blessed are you when you have been persecuted. And what are you persecuted for? Notice what he says. Persecuted for the sake of what? Righteousness. Now, what is that word? Fancy word, but what does it mean? Righteousness is right standing with God that God grants to those who have faith in Christ, but it is also right living that comes from relationship with him. You see, God not only declares us right by on the basis of faith, that we are justified by faith. We are right with God. The moment we die, we will be in his presence forever on the basis of nothing that you and I do, but on the basis of faith. But he also calls us to righteous living, living right, which means walking in his spirit, where you're yielded to God, that you are following his word that his values are yours. It is right living. And when we live right in God's strength, I want you to know that that might put you on the path of persecution. Remember what Jesus said? John 15, verse 20, right before he goes to the cross, he's got all of his key guys together and he's looking them in the eye and he tells them this. He says, remember the word that I said to you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Don't miss it. You see, when a person is willing to be persecuted for their faith, they're showing with their lives that Jesus is of such immense and great value 
that they would rather suffer loss than to forsake him. And friends, I want you to know, it's the only reason you would do this is because of the life that we have been given. And I, from the very beginning, all you have to do is read the book of Acts to see the very early church, they were willing to face persecution for their faith in Christ. They would not deny Jesus. They kept pursuing righteousness. This text, verse 10, is so critically important to what it means to know and to follow Jesus. And so they did. When they wouldn't forsake Jesus, that led to significant hardships in their life. It could mean that they were stoned to death. Some were persecuted, lost their jobs. Some were apprehended. In some severe cases, Nero actually even took Christians had them dipped in pitch and set on fire to light his garden parties. It meant some of the most horrible ways of being tortured, and yet they wouldn't give up. They would continue to confess and follow Christ. And to help you better understand what was taking place in the Roman Empire, by the end of the first century, uh, the Roman Empire pretty much entailed most of the known world. And one of the major issues that they were facing in the Roman Empire is how do you keep, keep such a diverse populace unified? And so their one central figure in the Roman Empire was Caesar. And he became like emblematic of the entire empire. And so what happened is Caesar became deified. He became recognized as a god. And so how they brought about unity in this diverse Roman Empire was to say that once a year, you had to make this confession. Caesar is Lord. And in fact, they would do this, and that you would even be given a certificate called a labellus that you once a year, you made this declaration. It was certified Jesus, you'd say that Caesar is Lord. And if you did that, why you could be free to kind of worship any other God that you wanted around the year, but like once a year, we're checking in so that you're all unified under this one central statement and belief that Caesar is God. And for most of the folks in the Roman Empire, they may not have liked it, but they're like, it's better, better than getting stoned or have my head cut off or being ripped away from my family, or lose my job. Sure, whatever I need to do, I can say it. It would be kind of like the equivalent of like here in the United States, if we said, hey, all you have to do is just once a year just say that the president is God. Can you do that? Just, just say it. You could just like cross your fingers, don't really believe it in your heart, but you just say it. That's what it was like. And most people did it. Except one small, unique group of folks that they, folks just couldn't figure out. They were the Christians. They wouldn't say it. Do you know why? Because they knew who the actual Lord is. And it wasn't Caesar. It was Jesus Christ. And because they wouldn't bow down, pinch a little incense and burn it, say just a simple little statement, just say, Caesar is Lord, they faced persecution. And it got ramped up to some extremely intense levels. You know why they wouldn't say it? The reason they would endure persecution is because the life that they had been given, they were now kingdom citizens. 
Notice even what Jesus said. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They were in God's kingdom. To be in God's kingdom is to know his reign and rule in this life. And it is the joy of believers. And because they had actually been, like it says in Colossians 1.13, that they have been transferred from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son, there is no way that they could bow down and make that statement. And so, friends, that's why they would endure persecution. To say the kingdom of heaven was just synonymous of saying the kingdom of God, the abode of where God dwells. And that is how the Beatitudes begin and end. You see that in chapter 5, verse 3? The Beatitudes begin. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, telling us there's nothing you earn to do, nothing you can do to earn God's gift of being in his kingdom. It's a gracious gift to those gift to those who are broken. But the kingdom of heaven is for those whose allegiance is with him. And this kingdom, I mean, if you're a Christian, I want you to know that you are in the kingdom of God. The present benefits of being in God's kingdom, to know his grace and mercy, his peace, his forgiveness. This is how God has created life, to be lived in harmony and relationship with him. If you are trusting in Christ, you are experiencing what it means to know God. And you have joy and peace, the fruit of the spirit. God has given us his word. You've got a purpose in life. You've got eternity secure, all of this because of Jesus. And not only do you have relationship with him, you have relationship with his people. And so this is the blessing. It's not only present. There's a kingdom, there's a millennial kingdom that's coming, that thousand-year reign of Christ. You see it in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. You are co-heirs with Christ when your faith is in him. Why? Because you're a part of his kingdom. And then you will spend eternity with him, knowing his goodness, his amazing providence, experiencing his peace and love and joy and outstanding worship for eternity. Why would a Christian endure persecution? It's because of the life we have been given. But then Jesus goes on and gives us another reason why we would endure persecution. And that is the love that we share. Look at verse 11. He said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed are you when the world rejects you verbally or even through acts of violence. Who thinks like this? Jesus says, I want to prepare you for what is to come to prepare you for persecution, which would speak of physical acts of violence. But notice he also says, for those who are going to insult you, who will mock you for your faith in Christ, who will persecute you, who will falsely say all kinds of things against you, slander you. I mean, slander is kind of almost worse because when, I mean, you can tear someone's character up pretty bad and they don't even hardly even know what's happened because they haven't heard of it yet. And some people kind of specialize in this. It's the idea of kind of seek and destroy and you slander them. And you can do it in all sorts of ways. You can do it with your mouth, with your words and your gossip. You can do it with your text. You can all, you make your little postings and there's ways of tearing people up. And I want you to know, Jesus says, if you have been pursuing righteousness and that makes some people really ticked off and mad and upset, don't take it personally. It's really me they're persecuting. 
And if you've been pursuing righteousness and you're persecuted for it, friends, I want you to know that this love that we share, you're blessed. There is an intense, deep joy that comes from knowing me and knowing that you're suffering with me. Not in a salvific way that you're somehow earning salvation, but that you've entered into the sufferings of Christ. He is more valuable to you than even a little bit of temporary comfort. You are willing to take on a few hits. It might even cost you something in terms of your life, but they cannot take away the things that are most important, and that is my life and relationship with you. Friends, if you, uh, if you don't want to be persecuted, then by all means, just amalgamate to this world. Let its values, let um, its aspirations, and its lifestyles be yours. But I want you to know that if you really are following Jesus, you might be prepared to face some persecution. Paul said this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you live godly, what does that mean? You pursue righteousness. You live according to his word. You are a non-compromising believer. You've got what is called integrity. Friends, you are going to face persecution. How do you know? Jesus said it. Paul said it. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. If you're living ungodly, you're pursuing the morals of this world, you are just doing whatever you want, whenever you want, you want so desperately to fit in, the last thing you want to do is stand out, friends, you're not going to be persecuted. But I also want you to know, that's not what it really means to follow Jesus. To give you just uh, an example of, of what this looks like, let me take a step back into yesteryear. In 1927, there was a famous English poet by the name of T.S. Eliot. Maybe you've read some of his essays and maybe some of his poems. And what was startling about T.S. Eliot is that he, as an adult, became a Christian. And it made waves. In fact, he was a part of a group of intellects and artists who were known as the Bloomsbury Group. And they would meet on a frequent basis, and it was kind of an esteemed club, you know, kind of like the intellectuals. I mean, you had to be kind of like Mensa-like to be able to be in there, and so they kind of had their esteemed club. But when T.S. Eliot became a Christian, all of a sudden, T.S. Eliot was not welcome in their group. In fact, the group responded with shock and disgust. And we know a little bit of what it's like. The writer Virginia Woolf, the de facto leader of the group, she penned a letter to one of the peers in the group. And I want to le- listen, have you listen to just a little excerpt of her letter. She writes, I have had the most shameful and distressing interview with dear Tom Elliott, who may be called dead to us all from this day forward. He has become a believer in God and immortality, and he goes to church. I was shocked. A corpse would seem more credible than he is. I mean, there's something obscene in a living person sitting by the fire, believing in God. 
Have you experienced any persecution for your faith? Did following Jesus cost you something? Was, was it popular when you placed your faith in Christ? How did your family receive that? You know, I've, I've been on the receiving end of things like that, and it's kind of unpleasant, you know? People would like the old you. What are you doing? What's wrong with you? Have you ever experienced any persecution for your faith? Did, did people at school or perhaps at work kind of like, here's the Jesus freak guy or gal, you know, they're following Jesus? Have you? Or do you do everything you can to avoid it? The only reason that you and I would be willing to endure persecution is because of what Jesus said. Do you see that? Because of me. I've underlined that in my Bible in verse 11. Do you see it? That's, it's because of this love that we share and don't be surprised when you face persecution. Peter wrote of it, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which has come upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. You're not going to be ashamed. You're going to rejoice because why? You aligned with him. And if you are reviled for the name of Christ, listen to what he said, you are blessed. Where do you get that? From Jesus. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You see, the love of Christ controls us. So why would we endure persecution? Well, the life that we've been given, the love that we share. And notice how Jesus then concludes this in verse 12. It's because of the legacy that we carry. Look at this, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice. It has the idea of being full of joy, actually being glad. It's kind of like this deep-seated spiritual joy. It says, you want to be deeply joyful, you are blessed, rejoice, because you have been persecuted for the name of Christ. In fact, you are now standing in a long line of faithful people. In fact, it goes all the way back to a guy by the name of Abel. Remember that? Early in the book of Genesis? Why he takes, he actually is killed because he's faithful, pursuing righteousness, and that really makes his brother mad, so mad that he kills him. But you are staying in line of people like Elijah and Jeremiah and Daniel, or like if you ever read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, where he starts just talking about all these faithful people. And sometimes they were sawn in two. They were stoned and they were persecuted and they died some miserable deaths. But friends, don't miss this. We are standing in the legacy of godliness of God's people who have been called out in this world and we simply will not compromise. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that God has given us the grace and the strength of his spirit so that we could be faithful. And we recognize that we carry on a legacy. Friends, the baton is in your hand right now. This is our generation. This is our race to run. The question is, will you be faithful? Would you be willing to suffer some hardship, some persecution for the sake of Christ? You know, notice what he said here. He said that your reward in heaven is great. Now, you're like, Ooh, wait a second here. We don't serve Jesus for rewards, right? Well, 
Let's talk about that. Is reward a proper biblical motivation for serving and for even enduring persecution? Well, I want you to know what motivates us to serve is love. It's this love that we share. But I also want you to know that because of this love that we share, there is a great reward for those who follow Jesus faithfully. I mean, you even see this with Jesus. Remember, like it's talked about in Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? Why did he do this? Because he saw that me going through this miserable death and actually being the payment for sin, that was the most horrendous, far beyond the physical, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Like it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, you and I need to consider what's coming. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And you know how the Bible ends? The Bible ends, Revelation chapter 22, and Jesus says this. Listen to what he's saying. Behold, Revelation 22, verse 12, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. He's bringing the reward. What is that reward? It's a greater experience of God in his presence. It's a greater joy, and it's the greater privilege of position that God is going to use us. We who serve him in this life and will even be persecuted, we'll have even greater opportunities to serve him in the kingdom that is coming. And so, friends, that's why our vision is to grow deep and to reach out, to grow deep in our relationship with Christ. At Fellowship Bible Church, we're not here to entertain you. We're not here just to tell you nice things to keep you happy. We're not here to try to create some sort of mega church just to bring them in, just to tell people what they want. Actually, we're here to call people to true, genuine, authentic relationship with Christ what it means to know him, the joy it is to experience him, and knowing that to follow him may lead to persecution in this life. Anything else is a pseudo-gospel. It's cotton candy for some sort of version of Christianity that isn't actually biblical. What does the scripture say? And that's what we see here. And so we'll identify with Christ We'll invest ourselves, our time, our resources, our wealth, our abilities for the kingdom. And if pursuing righteousness leads to persecution, we'll face it. Why? Because of the life that we have been given. Because of the love that we share with Christ. And because of the legacy that we carry. We stand in a long line of faithful men and women and boys and girls. I'm sure you're familiar with Andrew Brunson. Uh, he, he made the news, and maybe just to refresh your memory, this was the American pastor. He and his wife, for 23 years, served in Turkey as missionaries. They felt compelled to go to the largest unevangelized country in the world, where persecution perhaps could be its harshest, so that people might know the goodness, the freedom, the forgiveness, and the life that there is in Christ. But for Andrew Brunson, having been there for 23 years, he and his wife, uh, Noreen, they raised their family there, it led to significant persecution. So much so 
that Andrew was imprisoned. For 735 days, he was kept in a maximum security prison. The target, the reason why, is because of his uncompromising faith in Christ. He was working, primarily working on the border of Turkey and working to all of these displaced people on the Syrian border. And his faith in Christ, that wasn't going to work in Turkey. And so they apprehended him and they put him in prison. And the prison that he was in, this maximum security prison, I'd been reading about him and actually watched some interviews that he gave. At, at one point, he was stuffed in with 21 other prisoners in a cell that was made for eight. And that's how he had to live and endure. And I want you to know that like being persecuted for your faith under that kind of intense persecution those kind of challenges and difficulties, it will unravel you. And in an interview I watched of him, he, he talked candidly about how grievous it was at different times to be persecuted. He said there were times where I, I doubted God's existence. There were, there were suicidal thoughts just, just to end this and all this pain and this misery. Uh, there were times where he told God, you've chosen the wrong man. I just, I just can't do this. But if you want to see the power of Christ's presence, and even in the midst of the pain of human frailty, look at Andrew Brunson, this soft-spoken pastor, at his trial that took place in Turkey. He said of that trial, quote, it was very obvious that it was a kangaroo court. The decision was completely and entirely in the hands of one person, who is the president, Erdogan who is the president of Turkey. But while on trial, he's standing on a platform, all alone, facing basically the Turkey government. He used that as an opportunity to once again speak of his faith in Christ. You want to know what guts looks like, what courage is, what uncompromising faith is? Take a good look at that man in his face. This is what he did. He said this, quote, During his trial, they're saying I'm a terrorist. No, I am not. I'm declaring Jesus Christ, and I want all of Turkey to know that I'm here for one reason, to declare Jesus. Blessed am I for persecution. Can you imagine all these people that are completely hostile to you and everything that you stand for and they're saying? And then he went on to actually forgive those who bore all this false testimony against him. In fact, he said this, quote, he said, I, I am, my faith teaches me to forgive. So I forgive those who testified against me. He also said in an interview that when I made those declarations, I knew Jesus was standing right there beside me. See, in this courtroom, he forgave even those who persecuted him and made all these false statements, exactly like Jesus said. His wife, Noreen, posted on Facebook, quote, the Lord was absolutely glorified with multiple exclamation marks when this, after he gave testimony at court. He explained why he was here. He gave the gospel. He publicly forgave all those who had come against him, forgiving as he had been forgiven. And she continued in her post, Quote, he said, 
It is a privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. Blessed am I as I suffer for him. Blessed am I as I am slandered. Blessed am I as I'm being lied about. Blessed am I as I am being imprisoned. Blessed am I as I'm sharing his sufferings. She says, I am incredibly proud of him as I am quite sure he didn't feel that blessing at this point. Indeed, he didn't. In one interview, he was talking about what it was like, and and sometimes of his desperation, he would say, I learned how to say, just hang on, just breathe. (laughs) What good advice. And he said, I would daily just recount that God loves me, that he is with me, that he hasn't forsaken me, that he's using me. You can read about his experiences, a, a book that came out late last year. The book is titled God's Hostage. And on that book, there's a picture of Pastor Brunson. You see it right there. He's, that picture was taken while he was in prison. And he said this about that particular picture. He says, I'm holding a cross over my hand, and my hand is over my heart. And he took that photo for his wife and his kids, one of the small allowances that was given to him. And this is what he said, quote, This is what I stand for. This is my identity. It was actually one of the happiest moments in prison because I was standing on my identity as a Christian. So Andrew Brunson, now that he's been freed, You'll remember, it was was rather amazing. Within 24 hours, he's actually praying with President Trump and prays for him. It was amazing. But Andrew Brunson has a message for the believers today, and this is what he says. This is my urgent message. It's becoming more difficult to stand for Jesus, and I just feel this burden to encourage the next generation to stand without apology for Jesus. And obviously, There can be a cost for this, but I think it's necessary. And Jesus is worthy of it. Friends, remember this. We're going to count the cost. We will pay the price and we'll rejoice in the rewards. You see, faith in Christ is manifested by how we follow him in this life. Let us pray right now that that God would allow this to be our reality. Lord,